I want to begin by asking you a question. Mary or Martha, which one are you? Now, I hope you're a little bit of a mixture of both. If you guys know the text we're talking about, right? Mary's at the feet of Jesus. Martha is serving Jesus. Martha is upset and comes to Jesus and says, tell her to help me. That's the text. Mary or Martha, which one are you? Do you sit at the feet of Jesus? Do you learn from him? Or are you serving him? And if you are, is that service or has that service become a bit of a distraction for you? It certainly can be a distraction from serving him with everything you have. One of the titles that I kicked around was devotion or distraction because Mary is devoted and Martha is distracted. And we certainly will talk a little bit about it today. Now, I first of all want to start by reading the text. It's a short text, but I think it will really help us as we, we get into this and break this down. So in Luke 10, verse, um, yeah, verse 38, it says, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And, sh and she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. I don't think it's ever good when Jesus says your name twice. Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. Let's take a moment to meet the, the, the parties that are here. We have Jesus, we've got Mary, we've got Martha. I know you know all about Jesus, but one particular thought that I would like us to think about is that Jesus had friends, people that he was close to, people that he was fond of. The Bible tells us in John 11, verses 5 and 6, about Mary, Martha, and her brother, Lazarus. By the way, this is a I don't know, I don't know if Martha's the oldest and Mary's the youngest, but if, if you're into birth orders at all, it like fits into it absolutely perfect. You got the youngest sitting at the feet, not wanting to serve, and you got the oldest coming over and going, tell her to help me. It fits in perfect. I don't know if that's the case. And I'm not all into birth orders, by the way. I just thought it was funny when you thought about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But they were friends of Jesus. He was fond of them. The word for, for friend means to be fond of, to have um a closeness with. And so um, John 11, five through six says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed with him for two more days in the place where he was. Now, Lazarus takes sick. Mary and Martha send to Jesus, thinking he'll come immediately to heal him. He's been healing people everywhere he goes. But it says that he loved them, so he stayed for two more days. Lazarus would die. Mary and Martha would experience grief. Jesus would know that he would, re that he would resurrect Lazarus and use them as an example for us of people that have died and gone before us. And we are grieving now, and Jesus grieved with them. But then there was a reunion, and it was very powerful. Just because Jesus loves you 
doesn't mean that he won't put you through some hardships. I think that's a really important point for us to understand. But the fact that Jesus wants to be our friend, I think is very important. Of Abraham, it's said in Isaiah 41, 8, but you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, a descendant of Abraham, my friend. God had a relationship with Abraham that was as a friend. In 2 Chronicles 27, I guess I wrote both of these down, another reference to him being a friend of Abraham. Are you not our God who drove the inhabitants uh, of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? I just love that God speaks of Abraham as being his friend. One more passage. This is John 15, 15. Jesus is hanging out with his disciples in the upper room. He's giving them the last kind of uh, the last instructions before he's arrested that night. This is the night he'll be arrested. And he says to them this. No longer do I call you servants for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you my friends for all things that I have heard from my father. I've made known to you. And I believe that applies to us as well. I think that we could say that Jesus loves you. What do you, what do you hear when you hear that? Jesus loves you. We say it a lot, right? Jesus loves you. He's got a plan for your life. Well, which love are we talking about? We're talking about agape, unconditional, certainly. The Bible tells us that Christ loves us using the word agape. But I would suggest that he also phileos you, which is the Greek word for friendship. We get the city of Philadelphia from it, the city of brotherly love. And the thought is, is that you are a friend of Jesus. He not only loves you unconditionally, which in my mind is like this. I love you no matter what. Robert, I love you no matter what. You feel like that with God? That God's like, I love you because I have to. If it wasn't the case, then I wouldn't love you. But I love you unconditionally. I love you with that agape love. But God says, I love you, phileo. You're a friend. When you invite Christ into your life, when you begin to live for him, he begins to share all things with you and you are a friend to him. Doesn't mean that you won't have any difficulties, right? Because you do. But what a thought, a thought that perhaps we don't think of too often. The second person in this account is Mary. Mary sits at the feet of Jesus and we find her three other times in the New Testament. And it's interesting, each time we find her, she's at the feet of Jesus. Here in this account, she's sitting at his feet and she's learning from his word. We'll talk about that a little bit more later on. Also in John, we're told that she took a very expensive alabaster flask of perfume, broke it and poured it on the feet of Jesus and wiped it with her hair. And as she went through the house, the fragrance filled the house. Also, we were told by Jesus that that which she had done would be a memorial for her throughout the ages because she was rebuked by no less than Judas Iscariot. If you're going to be rebuked by any of the disciples, Judas is the one I guess you want, right? But Jesus said, leave her alone. What she has done, she has done for my death. It was 
worship. It was devotion. It was her taking something that was valuable to her and giving it to Jesus. And that worship seemed like a waste to the, the, the man who was living by his flesh, and that would be Judas. Also, in John chapter 11, when Jesus returns after waiting for four days, and Lazarus has been dead for four days, waiting a few days, Lazarus has been dead for four days, and Mary runs out to him and falls down at his feet and says, Lord, had you been here, my brother would not have died. And the Bible tells us that Jesus wept. As Mary fell down at Jesus' feet and wept over the loss of her brother, Jesus had empathy with her. It's often been questioned, why did Jesus cry? Did Jesus cry because of the unbelief? He looked at the scribes and the Pharisees that were there with them because they were a religious family. They were a well-known family. They were, they were in the top tier of, of, of families in Jerusalem and Bethany? I don't think so. I think it's simply empathy, which is an interesting thought, that when we grieve, he grieves with us, that he knows what we're going through. But it, didn't the Bible say that he carries our sorrow and grief? Didn't Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane say, I'm so full of sorrow that I think I could die? He literally thought he was going to die. And I believe that at that moment, all the grief and all the sorrow of all of mankind was being laid upon him and was almost crushing him so that if you are here tonight and you are grieving, well, the Bible says that he is close to the brokenhearted. Is your heart broken tonight for whatever reason? Then he is close to you. I love that he wept with Mary. Mary's always at his feet. And I don't think this could be by accident. She's a worshiper. She's devoted. She seeks him. And then there's Martha. And Martha is interesting as well. We see Martha three times. And two of the times, Martha is serving. When Jesus has his feet anointed by Mary, it says that Mary anointed his feet and Martha was there serving. So it points out that she was serving. I don't think that that's a negative, by the way. But when I ask, are you Mary or Martha? I'm not asking, you need to be all devotion and no service. There, there obviously needs to be a balance, right? We have to have a balance between our devotion and our service. It just seems, and you can, you can figure this out for yourself, but it just seems like our devotion life will often be eclipsed by what we do for him. We want to serve him. We want to work for him. We want, we want to bless God. We want to be filled with the Spirit. We want God to use us. And our devotional life can often hurt and suffer when you begin to get busy for God. I mean, our devotional life can get hurt and suffer just with life. Get married. There's a lot of distractions. Have kids. There's all kinds of more distractions. If you've got more than two kids and you're married, it's a wonder to me that you have a devotional life at all. In fact, if you have one, I know something about you. You have worked really hard to have one because you don't have a life to yourself, especially if you're a gal, right? You barely have time for yourself if you've got at least three children. 
Maybe some of you would say, I've got two and I don't have time for myself. Maybe even some of us have got one. I don't have time for myself. And then, of course, when she invites Jesus over to her house, which we kind of understand, right? Some of you gals, if you had Jesus coming over to your house, you'd have us guys working really hard to get the house just right because of the company that we've got. Now, let's take a look at the text and see what we can learn from this particular account. We've kind of got an idea of what the Bible gives us in this motif, this picture between Mary and Martha. So let's look at what it says. It says, first of all, verse 38, now what happened as they went, he entered a certain village. We know that this is the village of Bethany. We know where Bethany is at. If you're on Mount Moriah and the temple was around in their day, right? So the temple was there on the Temple Mount and you go west, pretty sure it's west. You go, I'm trying to think now, is it west? It's east, isn't it? It's the east gate. So you go east and you'll go into the, the Valley of Kidron. You'll come up onto the Mount of Olives and the, the Garden of Gethsemane is right there. And you come up over the top and somewhere in that area is Bethany. Now, I've always said that they never know, they don't know where it's at. They haven't found it. But I read recently that they found it. It was a small article. I need to do some more research on it. But they, they archaeologists are, are pretty confident that they found the town of Mary and Martha. That little town, it would have been a small little village on the other side of the Mount of Olives. And it says, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. I love that this is an invitation from Martha. Martha's going to get the short end of the stick. We're going, to, we're going to start talking negatively about Martha and positively about Mary. But Martha was the one who said, come in. I want you to come into my house. She welcomed him. I believe that Jesus is looking for an invitation from us. And I, and I think not only for those that don't know him, that need to invite him in, but I believe that Jesus wants to do things in your life and the more invitations you give him, the more he will do. And, and maybe I should put it this way, the more genuine invitations you give him, the more he will do. John, excuse me, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. And dining in their day was a picture of fellowship. That was not written. I often quote that when I give altar calls at the end of a service. Behold, I'm standing at the door and knock. You hear Jesus knocking at the door, then open it up and let him in. He's not going to open the door up and come into your life. He's waiting for you to open the door and invite him in. And it's a great picture. But do you know that that's actually written to the church? It's the church in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. The seven letters written to the church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Is Jesus knocking outside of the door now? Do you need to open up and let him in? Has he been put outside of your life in one area or another? Put outside of your home? Maybe it's time to open the door again. Jesus, come in. Maybe even now as I'm teaching, do you just say in your heart, Lord, come into my life. Come into every aspect of my life. I want you in my life. As far as we know, Jesus, when he received an invitation, he went in. He was walking along the road after his resurrection and incognito, he was walking with two of the disciples along the Emmaus road. 
And he joined them and he said, why are you guys so sad? And they said, are you the only stranger in all of Jerusalem that you have not heard what's been done here to Jesus, who we thought was the Christ, who we had hoped in? And Jesus said, oh, slow to believe all that is written by all of the prophets and in the law. And he explained to them, he went through and explained to them all where he was found in the law and in the prophets. And when he got to their house, the Bible says he intended to go further. He got to their house and he was like, all right, see you guys later. And they said, well, stop and eat with us. And they invited him in. And he stopped and he went in and he gave them communion. First, first communion after the resurrection. That's something special. And it all started with an invitation. Come in. And in the breaking of the bread, it was revealed to him who he was. By the way, there's, that's got to be a great communion service message, right? In the breaking of the bread, he was revealed. I don't know how to apply it all, but I'll work on it. But what a great thing that he responded to their invitation. I think also of him walking on the water. That as he was coming by the boat, it says he intended to pass by them. They were fighting against the storm. And you got to know the backstory a little bit. You got to know that they were in the boat with Jesus earlier and they were going across the water and Jesus was asleep in the front of the boat in a storm that was so severe they thought they were going to die and that Peter woke up Jesus and said, don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus said, oh, you of little faith, stood up and rebuked the wind and the waves. And the Bible says that the wind and the waves obeyed and they were all afraid and they said, who can this be that even the wind and the waves obey? He didn't stand up and say, Lord, I ask you now to, to stop the wind and waves. He just stood up and spoke to them. He spoke to the wind and waves and they listened. So now he puts them in a boat and he sends them across by themselves. And he says, go in the boat. I'll meet you on the other side. And now Jesus goes up on top of the a high mountain to pray. In the Galilee, there's a high region. You can overlook the whole Sea of Galilee. And he's up there praying and he looks down and he sees them going against the waves. And so he leaves and he walks to them on the water. We'll cover that here before long. And as he gets to the boat, it says he intended to walk by. Again, he was like, they're doing all right. Why were they doing okay? Because they hadn't quit. Jesus had told them before, get in the boat, we're going to the other side. In the middle of the lake, they thought they were going under, but now they were rowing no matter what. They were like, Jesus said, we're going to the other side and we're going to the other side and we're gonna make it. So Peter saw him and freaked out, or they all saw him, freaked out and began to scream, it's a ghost, which we'd probably think so too. We'd go, what is that? Somebody walking on the water. But they stopped and he went into their boat, intended to walk by. I think of the Gadareans, Luke chapter eight. They asked Jesus to leave, the opposite of an invitation. He's delivered a man who had a legion of demons. He had thousands of demons. And Jesus cast, delivered the man so that he was sitting in their midst in his right mind. This guy ran naked around the region, lived in a cemetery, broke chains they put him in. He gets delivered. And when the townspeople show up, they say, would you leave us? And the next verse says, Jesus got in the boat and left them. So the opposite of an invitation is true as well. If you in your heart say, Lord, I don't want you. Lord, leave me alone. 
Maybe it's not even deliberate, but maybe you just are not open with an invitation and you're like, leave me alone. He will not force his way into your life. The last invitation that I'll speak of is the one that I use often in John 1.12, where John says, as many as receive him, he gives the power to become a child of God to those who believe in his name. One version says he gives the right to become a child of God to those who believe in his name. As many as who would say, Lord, I want you in my life, would receive him as their savior. There's a transformation that will take place inside of you if you receive him today. If you say, God, I give you an invitation, he will not force his way into your life. But if you give him that invitation, he'll transform you and turn you into a child of God and you will become an entirely new person. You say, well, I don't want to become a new person. Well, you don't have to be. Don't receive him. But it's there, ready for you. This Jesus that did so much. And so then in verse 39, it says, and she had a sister called Mary who also sat at the feet and heard his word. We learn, first of all, there's an invitation from Martha. And now we learn that Mary sits at his feet and learns his word. We must, we must sit at his feet and learn from his word. Matthew 28 gives us the great commission. It says, go out and make disciples of all nations. This is the commission for the church. This is what every church should be doing. This should be the highest call for the church. This is the purpose of the church. You've heard of the purpose-driven church? This is the purpose. Go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to keep all the commandments that I have given you, Jesus speaking. Teaching them to keep all the commandments that I have given you. What we are doing here as we gather together and we open up our, our Bibles and we open up our hearts and we hear from him is part of what we're supposed to be doing. And also applying those things, by the way. Not being a hearer of the word only, but a doer of the word. John 15, 7, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will have whatever you desire. I, I think of that little phrase. It's kind of the equivalent to the Old Testament passage that says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. What are the desires of your heart right now? I'm not asking you to tell them out loud, by the way, because there's some here we might not want to hear. What if you are a Christian? And the desire of your heart is not godly. And you say, I don't know what to do. Well, two things. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he'll give you the desires of your heart. You'll begin to have the desires God has. And second, let your word abide. Let his word abide in you. Abide in me and let my word abide in you. And you will have whatever you desire. You will ask and receive it. Because the, is, if, if you desire cocaine, you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to read his word. I'm going to abide in his word. And then God's going to give me a little coke. It's not what it's saying. It's saying it's going to change you. As you read God's word, that transformative power of God's word, that suddenly you desire godliness. You desire him. You desire things that please him. We, we change. 
we begin to want the things that God wants from us. In John 10, 27, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and he knows them. We sit at his feet and we learn his word. And I would add to all of this that it's a great example for us and a reminder. You know, we, we've got the, lo the longest book in the Bible. You know what that is, right? You guys all into Bible trivia at all? The longest book in the Bible is a devotional book. Do you think that's by mistake? Do you think God gave us the book of Psalms 150 chapters? I, we, years ago, one time we did it. We, we've been a church here in October, it'll be 37 years. We've gone through the Bible several times. We've only done the book of Psalms in a row once because it was brutal. Because <laughs> it's a devotional book and we're teaching it line by line, verse by verse when it's meant to be devotional. It's so powerful and it will tell you that your devotional life is important if the devotional book in the Bible is longer. Now, there's more instructional books for sure, and instruction is extremely important, but how often do we turn to instruction and we forget devotion when both are important in the life of a believer? And so that's Mary. She sits at his feet and she learns his word. She's receiving from him. So then Martha in verse 40, Martha was distracted. We're told right away what the problem is. She's distracted. She's distracted with, with serving, with much serving, it says. This can happen to any pastor. This can happen to any leader. This can happen to anyone that has been deeply in love with God and began to get distracted by the service. We want to serve him because we love him. And it can become distracting. Now she approached him. Now think of the difference between Mary and Martha. Mary's at his feet learning from his word. Whatever Jesus wants to tell her, Jesus is telling her. Now, Martha approaches not to hear whatever Jesus has to say, but she has something to say to him. I wonder if our devotional life wouldn't be more powerful if we approached like Mary instead of Martha. The Bible says don't rush into the presence of God. The Bible says be still and know that I'm God. When I, when I have a time of prayer, I like to sit quiet for a while. And it's hard for us because we got the things we want to say and do, right? We're just so used to doing things. I mean, we can't do anything without looking at our phone. Like, you know, you stand in line for five seconds. Somebody says to me, I went to go get a burrito the other day. The guy says, can you hold on a second? I'm like, yeah, get my phone out. Can I help you? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's just the way we are. And the devotion that she had instead of being distracted by much work. I mean, they're both important. And when I say Mary or Martha, which one are you? I'm not telling you not to do service for the Lord because we're called to do that. I could give you a bunch of scriptures to back that up. But not to neglect that devotion that she had. So she's going to, she takes an approach and she, she approaches him and said to him, Lord, do you, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? And again, I mean, we could use this. We could now talk about prayer and we could talk about the folly of talking about other people when you're praying. Lord, do this with them, do that with them. I'm not talking about praying to help them. I'm talking about praying to straighten them out. Don't you care 
Wonder how many of our prayers start that way. Don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Classic uh, siblings, right? Therefore, tell her to help me. And oftentimes that's our instruction to God too. Lord, tell them to help me. Tell them to do, do what I want you to do. We've got our plan. What a difference. They both went to Jesus. One went to hear from him and the other one went to tell him. What do you do when you pray? Do you go to hear from him or do you go to tell him? Don't rush into his presence. Sit back and be quiet and let God speak to you. It may be very, very helpful in doing that. Now, it's not that we're not supposed to work. Because, and I, I want to make sure you understand that. The Great Commission told us, uh, the Great Commission tells us, right, which we already talked about, the Bible says, do the work of an evangelist, which means that you are ready to share your faith when, you, when the door opens up. Be ready to give an answer, the Bible says, to the faith that is inside of you, which would mean that you would do some homework in understanding why you believe what you believe so that you're ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. So all of these are, are, are important. The Bible says, study to show yourself approved. Study the word of God. Learn these things to show yourself approved to God. All of those are important. However, it had gotten in the way. The thrill of being able to, to serve Jesus had distracted her from what was right in front of her. Now, I also think about the church in Revelation chapter two, the church of Ephesus, here there are seven letters that are written to seven different churches. And Ephesus is very much like the modern day church. Very, very much like Calvary chapels. Very much like Southern Baptist Convention churches. It's very much like evangelical churches today. Listen to what he says to them. This is the letter to the church of Ephesus. I know your works. Martha was distracted by service. He says to them, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, that you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and had patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. That's a pretty good agenda for Jesus saying to you, you would think that that's, boy, we'd love to have Jesus give us that letter. I know your works. You guys seek the truth. You guys want to know what the truth is. You want to know what God's word is. And you've rejected those who are false. But then he says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. The church at Ephesus was so caught up in being right in hanging on to the truth of God's word and grabbing on to this instruction that they had left the devotion. They had left that first love. You have left your first love. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works or else I will come quickly and remove the lampstand from its place unless you repent. Remember, repent and repeat. Remember where you have fallen. Repent and turn around and come back to that place, that desire that you had for God in the beginning. In the beginning, when you loved God, you didn't know very much. You just had become a Christian. You wanted to be used by him, but you didn't know very much. And you loved him and you wanted to be used by him because of that love. But it's so easy once you get into service to have the love fade away and have the work stand for that devotion. And what he says is, if you don't repent from this, I'm going to remove your candlestick. 
in the first part of Revelation, Jesus says, I am the one in the midst of the candlesticks. Jesus is walking in the midst of the candlesticks. He's saying, I will not have my presence where there is work and not love. If we don't love him and have that devotion for him, then his presence won't be with us. We say, well, we're doing really good things for him. Well, bully for you. If it doesn't, if it isn't connected to love, it doesn't mean anything. And so Jesus answered her. Now here she says, you know, tell my sister to come help me. He answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. C could that be a, a statement to us? We are worried and troubled about many things. Jesus said, today has enough worry for its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. Some pastor said worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Jesus said, by worrying, you can't change your height, not by one inch. By lying, you can. You know what the favorite height of someone who's 5'9 is? 5'10. You know what the favorite height of someone who's 5'10? 5 5'11. 5 and I could just keep going, right? And, and, and us guys, especially when we were younger, we'd just stretch that out a little bit. How tall are you? Well, I'm six foot. I'm really 5'10 and three quarters, but if I put on boots, I'm six foot. You're worried and you're troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen the good part. Just those two lines are so powerful. One thing is needed to set at his feet and learn his word, to have that devotion in your life. And she's chosen the good part. Service for God is great. And, and this message is not knocking it. It's just saying it can never take the place of devotion. It can never distract you away from your devotion to God. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. God says, if you choose that, I won't take it away from you. And one thing that I'll guarantee you, if you go out of your way tonight to say, I want to have that devotion back. I want to be one who is devoted to you. God will meet you here. We see four things. It's needed. It's the good part. And it will not be taken from her. I think the best thing for us as we come to a conclusion here on this message is that we would put things back into perspective, that we would evaluate our lives. If God were to write you a letter, what would that letter look like? Would it be anything like the church at Ephesus? And if it would, then this account is for you, that we would return to that first love, the reason we do things because of the love that we have for him. The love that you have for one who calls you a friend, for one who's fond of you because he likes you, not because he has to. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this passage, this short little passage that is so packed and speaks to us of so many things. And Lord, help us in our devotional life. We love you. We want to serve you. And we put those together so often. We love you and we want to serve you. Lord, we love you and we want to sit at your feet. We want to hear from you. We want you to speak to us. We want you to challenge us and encourage us. And we thank you that you have put this account in the scriptures so that we would be reminded that devotion is the best part. 
but service is good. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.